hello, 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 and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Black Esquire Podcast. This is a safe space where we discuss how to live your best life as a young professional navigating the Black experience in corporate America. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Michelle Jenkins, and I dreamt up this space because I got tired of having conversations about all the topics my colleagues and I simply hadn't covered in graduate and undergraduate school. Today, I am not alone. I have a wonderful guest. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Alexis Robertson. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. (laughs) Just to tell you guys a little bit about Alexis, she is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Foley and Lardner LLP. She provides firm-wide strategic direction and oversight on all diversity and inclusion-related matters. She She works closely with the firm's talent management, recruiting, business development, and human resource human resources departments and supervises the firm's diversity and inclusion team. Alexis joined Foley from Baker and McKinsey, where she was um, North America Manager of Diversity and Inclusion. In this position, she she managed the implementation of all diversity-related programming initiatives and client reporting in the North America region. Prior to joining Baker and McKinsey, Alexis or Baker McKenzie, Alexis spent two years as a legal recruiting director for the Partners Group, where she focused on placing diverse attorneys with law firms and corporations. Alexis earned her law degree from the University of Michigan Law School and practiced with Kirkland and Ellis and Safar Shaw following graduation. She earned her undergraduate degree from the American University in Washington, D.C. She's very fancy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's <me> fancy. <laughs> uh, in true Black Esquire fashion, of course, Alexis, I have to ask you what you sipping on today. Water. Yeah. I have a nice red cup here with full of cold water. <laughs> we took it back to college on you, huh? Yes. Brought back some memories, I'm sure. I am sipping on the same as it is wintertime in Chicago, and you must stay hydrated by any means necessary. Um, so if this is your first time tuning in, we just want to encourage you guys to go ahead and check out our website at www.blackesquirepodcast.com. Uh, we post blogs, events, and have an opt-in newsletter for all things Sophista Ratchet. Uh, it is a weekly newsletter. I don't spam you. I simply tell you what we've talked about on the podcast that week and sort of catch you up on sort of um, the happenings on the professional side in terms of different developments and things, articles articles, fun things to know of, fun programs you might um, want to enroll in and things of that nature. So sign up there. Additionally, you can find us on both IG and Facebook at the handle at Black Esquire Podcast, all one word. And you can join in on the conversation in our closed Facebook group called The Fellowship, where we deservedly so fellowship. (laughs) And so... um, Let's jump right in, Alexis. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm always excited to talk to DNI people, uh, specifically because, you know, um, it is such an expanding field. I'm fascinated by it. Um, and I admire it. I admire the work you do. So thank you for that. Um, I think we should kick off. I was telling Alexis before we turned on the mics um, that I found this quote. Um, from Mark Echo in this book called Unlabel. Um, And I'm just going to read the quote, and we're going to unpack the quote. We're going to get chatting. It's going to be fun. 
So it reads, how people see you, feel you, understand, and make assumptions about you when you are not in the room are pieces of your personal brand. And this is true whether you're the president of the United States, a priest, or a plumber. Whatever your product or service, you are essentially selling you. Deal with it. Brands are often thought of negatively as the domain for advertising, but a personal brand can be a powerful tool. In times of success, it keeps you grounded. In times of crisis, it keeps you confident. In heightened moments of critical decision-making, it hones your improvisational skills, but it doesn't come easy. It takes real effort, imagination, and follow-through to create your authentic personal brand. Alexis, so tell us how you feel initially hearing that quote from Mark Echo. I love that quote. So when you read it to me, I just thought, wow, we can take this so many places that are, I think, actually out, well outside of the field of diversity and inclusion, which I know we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. But the idea of a personal brand, and I think a lot of people don't realize that if you don't have a sense of your personal brand, you're going to have a default brand. Mm. You're going to have a brand regardless. The mm. question is, are you actively involved in shaping that? And then I think the brand itself actually corresponds really heavily to being in touch with who you are. Yeah. And you sort of get into this discussion of your highest calling even and whether you're letting that express itself, to what extent it expresses itself. And I think the branding part is actually almost this outgrowth of what you ideally intentionally put out there in the world once you have a really good idea of who you are as a person. Ideally. And I think sometimes, I I know for me anyway, that has taken a long time for me to get to. Because it requires some accepting of things like um, maybe I'm not what the typical, quote unquote, attorney is supposed to be. Or maybe I'm not what um, the typical thing that my mother or father wanted me to be or something like that. And so um, I think it, it requires a lot of dealing with yourself because, I mean, it's part of sort of determining what your identity really is. I don't think that's something that we're born and, like, given. No. I like, think it's a life's true. work. I really think one of the purposes of, of life is to cup, get in touch with who you actually are because I think what we end up doing is picking these forms or we see other people and you're like, okay, I'll be that. Or we're not even given a choice. Maybe your parents told you you had to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. Mm-hmm. And later you realize that's not who you were. But I think all of us are on some sort of continuum of getting in touch with who we are. Yeah. And then, like, that even goes even farther into some sort of, like, self-realization life coach kind of talk. But taking it back <laughs> to personal brand, I, life coach ideally kind of talk. those things correspond. They're not going to be exactly the same. You're not mm-hmm. going to necessarily share with the world, you know, 100% of every aspect of you. Right. You're going to pick and choose at least and stay, let's say, within the um, sort of professional sort of personal brand. Yeah. What things people need to know for you to get where you want to be while being – true to yourself, your authentic self. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think about, okay, I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Yes, I worked at some, you know, like phenomenal, and I continue to work at, you know, phenomenal law firms. And so I do have a bit of like a legal pedigree within my personal brand. Yes. More recently, I've become very open about my interests and well-being and, um, you know, whether it be nutrition or or exercise. I saw you're a Whole30 coach. Yes, Yes, I'm a certified Whole30 coach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really into Pilates. I also really like LinkedIn. And there's a couple things. And she's good at it. She's like (laughs) Tracy Ellis Ross, good at it. Like they have like 
contraptions. That's anyway, so there's a, there's a couple of things that I really enjoy. They can seem relatively scattered, but I've gotten better about when someone meets me weaving all of my interests in, so they're all a part wow. of my personal brand. So I think if someone had something that's for a lawyer in the diversity inclusion space who's a super nerd about food and likes Pilates, like I'm the one. Like, I'm your person. I can do that. <laughs> like, that's for me. I call dibs. But um, and that's a it's a it's funny because that sounds it's like kind of like just an out there example, but that actually I but think no, at the end happens. of the day, but that's what personal branding is. It's if you express it in the right way, you get far enough along in your career where you are the choice. You're yeah. the only choice because yeah. you're the only person with that particular yeah. mix of what is needed. Yeah. And I think I think that is sort of where the sweet spot is, really. But getting to that sweet spot is so difficult because it really requires you being okay with somebody not liking your jush. Yes. You know what I mean? Or somebody really liking it, but you not liking them. Yes, it's <laughs> Which a stripping away. Thing. I mm-hmm. think some of it's a stripping away and um, getting really comfortable with the idea that you're not going to be for everybody. Yeah, but the people that are for you are going to go pretty hard for really you. They're hard not going to be you. ambivalent about you in the way where if uh-huh. you're trying to please everyone by just being middle of the road, yeah, vanilla, essentially. Yeah. The quality yeah. over quantity um, is something that I think I've really sort of kind of learned over the last year, um, especially with like the... Um, I love the professional groups that are available in Chicago. Oh, my God. There's so many of them, but um, which is really cool in a big city and things like that. But you have to really um, sort of go into them knowing who you are first um, because it is still a group and you will still become a part of a clique. It's just natural in groups. People are attracted to what they're attracted to. Okay. But I guess I'm just saying that for me and on my journey, I found myself identifying with groups just because it was convenient and it kind of it kind of fit and it was like this was the wave so to speak, you know? And I think um I it led me down a path in my career that I didn't even really want to be on. And so I had to like stop and go, "Wait a minute. Let I actually went to law school for this, you know, other, whole other, you know, um, uh, uh, situation and issue. I wanted to be in legislation, and I was all in criminal stuff. Yeah, so you had to, you're redirecting, you had to recalibrate. Exactly. Well, it's funny that you say that because I'm in many ways the opposite. I am. Most of my life, I am not a joiner of groups. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I am. I'm an only child that may Mm -hmm. have something to do with it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been that person who's like, no, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean it. Like, I don't need to go out with yeah. – I am I wasn't particularly into sports. Yeah. I'm not in a sorority. <laughs> and it's taken some time for me to just accept that that's who I am. That's not to say I'm antisocial. I very much like people. Mm-hmm. But compared to many, if you kind of look at the things I participate in, you'll find that I don't have a problem going solo. And which I just I, – that's something I've had to come to learn and understand about myself and accept about myself. Like I said, I'm not antisocial. I love people. But I'm the first who's like, you guys go out. I'll be home. That's fine. <laughs> so. I'm cool. It's, I'm not going. Yeah, basically. And, but I'm, like, happy about it. I'm, there's no undercover like she's mad. No, oh. no, I'm good. I'm thrilled. I'll be at home watching a movie you enjoy. Not thrilled. <laughs> yes, I'm thrilled. I am absolutely delighted to be home. I think um, to that end, you know, you – have to it it the question then becomes as it relates to this whole career thing is like how do we then take that authenticity or be, become 
first of all, let's let's just let's bring it back a bit. One of the things that I think Mark Echo is really trying to hit on in the quote that he provides is just um, and by the way, the name of that book is Unlabeled. It like blows me away every paragraph. And so um, but anyway, the point is, I I think what the point that he's trying to hit on in that is that the best brands are the most authentic brands. And so then the question becomes, you know, how can we make our personal brand one that is authentic? Um, I th- I think that, and you can correct me if you disagree, agree, whatever, um, you know, um, that the job hunt sort of process and sort of when you're trying to, you know, trying to like decide your next step in your career, it's a huge exercise in determining what is authentically you in that moment. Because it may not be the same thing as it was mm-hmm. five years ago, two years ago, five minutes ago. <laughs> and so um, I'm wondering your opinions on sort of how you can bring your authenticity to your job hunt process. Yeah. Sort of, um, so the, so like I share with you, our past, the last three episodes were on like cover letter writing, resume, you know, tidying up and things in line with the sort of beginning of the year um, exercises people tend to do. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that in terms of. There's so many places you could take this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying I listen to a lot of Gary V. I don't know if oh. you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but this is something <laughs> he actually talks about quite a bit. Oh, really? But even stepping back farther even the concern about your level of authenticity, in some ways that's a privilege, okay? In certain oh. contexts, there are plenty of times where you're like, this isn't about me being my best self, me my highest self. This is about me needing a paycheck and just needing to do what I need to do to get a job. So I don't want to pretend like that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's important. Right. <laughs> that's important. Let's unpack my privilege. Let me uh, <laughs> get myself together. <laughs> right. and, and Unpack my but invisible the, but backpack. The, the flip side of that, though, is often... If you are looking for a role that will not allow you to in some way be your authentic self, even if that is a scaled-back version, that is not a role that is going to last for you. You are probably not going to stay in that job long, Mm -hmm. not necessarily because you will get fired, but because you will be miserable. Mm. So you are wise to try and find a fit with who you actually are. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if you got to pay rent, Maybe maybe that's not the priority. Mm. But I, I think particularly as, as you're farther along in your career, certain things just become non-negotiables because they're yeah. so just a part of who you are. So, for example, I have kids. I have a 6-year-old and an 8-year-old. Me having a role that allows me to, you know, pop out for a school thing or work from home occasionally, that's not negotiable for me at this point in my life. Nice. Back to the, if, you know, if it was a dire situation, okay, maybe, it, but where I am now, I have the privilege of saying this has to be a part of any role that I take. Mm. That's authentic to me. That's authentic to my life. And so it's not even I, a question. How do you earn those privileges then? How well, do you get to that? The, and it's the chicken or the egg, right? Mm-hmm. So with certain things, if you have the skill and the background, all the things that are musts in your job you, the organization will either work with you or you will limit your search to organizations that culturally fit that because you can. Yeah. I think it's, I've seen people make lists that had musts that I felt like were unrealistic or Mm -hmm. not quite, I don't know how to say it nicely, that maybe they weren't as, 
Like, maybe they were feeling themselves a little bit. And I feel like we're talking about dating now, too, by the way. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like is it? Same, well, isn't perfect it dating? Job, perfect partner. <laughs> <laughs> These are the same list. Isn't it dating? No, like, it it's is. such dating. Dating's a perfect analogy for, <laughs> and I actually use that analogy a lot when I'm talking to somebody who's in the job hunt. Uh-huh. Or maybe someone was recently laid off, and I've looked at someone and said, you didn't even like this job. It's the same as if you were dating them and you wanted to break up with her before she broke up with you. Wow. And you feel some type of way about that. You just do. But ultimately, oh. you didn't like them. Oh. They didn't like you. Mm-hmm. you and if, let's leave the money, and I'm afraid I'm not going to pay rent part aside. But ultimately, what happened is for the best. So now you're forced to do what you need to do, which is to go find something that's a better fit for you. Mm. Um, but with what you were saying, there is, of course, this is within, like, using your judgment and being reasonable. Mm-hmm. But I have found, just speaking for myself personally, that as I've learned what I require to be a happy, productive human, mm-hmm. I do have a couple of key just non-negotiables yeah. within any job search. Yeah. And part of that is I'm far enough in my career where I'm able to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. But that's also going to take you knowing who you are mm-hmm. so that you know the questions to ask mm-hmm. so that you can tease those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming we are f- far enough along in this discussion that we're not, and I, mean, I have advice for, you know, new job seekers or people yeah. fresh out of law school, but once no, no. you're a, a professional who has 5, 10, 15 yeah. plus years of experience, yeah. it is a different game. Yeah. And you do need to be much more discerning. Yeah. And you can relatively quickly spot in a search a place where you're like, organizationally, this is a mismatch. Yeah. You guys are probably lovely for someone, but not for me. Yeah. So are there resources out there maybe, I don't know, that like where you can, or how do you suggest a person that's eight years in the game of whatever, you know, field they're in, um, how do you sort of reality test? You so know? there's definitely resources. I'm not quite sure what they are, but we live right. in the age of the internet. I'm sorry right. if you Google Just anything, Google you'll something. find 8,000 you know, <laughs> articles and podcasts or whatever. But this is where in a job hunt, when you're applying for a job, it's so much more than just applying online. Right. If okay. that's all you're doing, mm-hmm. then no, you're not going to get a sense for anything. Yeah. You should be talking to people who work in the organization, mm-hmm. if not before you even apply, certainly as a part of that interview process. Mm-hmm. Yes, when you have that initial interview, it very much is them trying to get to know you, but you're trying to get to know them. Yeah. There are certain questions that wouldn't be appropriate until farther along or even post-offer, yeah. but there really are a lot of things that you should be either directly asking or able to pick up just via inference as a part of that that process. So mm. I do think a lot of people in a job hunt don't feel empowered at all. And I end up, when I talk to somebody, because it's funny, no, my day job is not finding people, helping people find jobs. It was, <laughs> but all. I still end up it's talking about this a lot. Now. <laughs> But I will have to remind someone of their their power, either when it comes to negotiating salary, whether it comes to going back and asking to speak to, to more people. Mm-hmm. But often, and some of this could be culture, some could be gender, it could be lots of things, we feel that we should just be grateful for whatever yeah. happens or is given to us in a job hunt, whether yeah. that be uh, the initial salary that's offered mm-hmm. or other circumstances. And I very much live in the world of, but have you asked? Uh-huh. Like, have you just asked if it's possible to work from home one day a week? Yeah. Have you asked if they can come up on the salary by yeah. X amount? And it's remarkable to me for a lot of us, we're just like, don't even realize we could inquire. And sometimes we assume that 
those those sort of um, perks, those privileges, those rewards will just come. That they should just come. Right. And, uh, <laughs> not, and the thing is, there are times where depending on the interview, it may have become clear. Let's use working from remotely. Okay. It may have been clear many, 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 many times that this is not an organization that does that at all. Okay. Maybe they didn't directly say it, but maybe it became very clear and it – you're like, I really do. I like them. I really need this job. And you just decide it's not important enough for me to front. Okay. But there could be someone else who's like, I realize they haven't done this at all. But the only way I can make this work is if I'm home on Fridays. Okay. And they are they're going to ask. Okay. But it, back to your own personal judgment, uh-huh. maybe there isn't. There's something that'd be nice, but I don't want to blow up this job over. Right. <laughs> uh, but I really, I really do think it's important to identify your own power within these situations, once again, within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fantastic article, or not article, it's a book by um, by Rithu Basin, B-H-A-S-I-N, called The Authenticity Code. She wrote it a few years ago. She's a fantastic diversity inclusion consultant. And I'm not going to remember all of the, um, the terminology she uses, but she walks through the, I think it's the three different types of self. One is your authentic self. The next one is your performative self. And I believe there's a third version of, of self, but kind of this, like, this is who I, I, I truly, truly am at my core. This is kind of the polished up version of me for work. And then this third quadrant is, like, where I'm performing and this is not comfortable and this is not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think having a sense that, of course, you're not going to – you can't all – I know you talked about this when Jasmine Guy was on. Yeah. You can't always hang out and you're, like, keeping it 100 self all the time. No, you can't. <laughs> but maybe you feel very comfortable in that sort of my workplace polished self, which is still me, but maybe it's a little less profanity-laden. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if I ever feel like I'm putting on a show and mm-hmm. just not being who I am at all, that's not a place you want to mm-hmm. you want to work. I do think that sometimes you put on the show and you don't realize you're putting on the show. Oh, I could see that. Like I think that. there's culture things happening there. Mm-hmm. I think there's self-worth things happening there. Mm-hmm. I think I know for me, I am naturally a bit of a people pleaser. I think yeah. I've turned that down as I've gotten older. Yeah. But I'm a product of, like, I went to all-white school. Yeah. I'm an only child, so I was with adults, and I was always with people who did not look like me. Yeah. So I got very good about figuring out how to make people like me. Wow. And it's a skill that's really useful as an adult, but mm-hmm. it stems from a place of, I hate to say it, but it can come from a place of insecurity where you're like, yeah. but I have to get them to like me, so how can I really get in touch with you know people that are different from myself? Yeah. So, absolutely. It's so funny that our experiences are so different but had the same result in the sense that mine wasn't so much, I, I'm also a people pleaser, but mine came from being a caretaker very young. Interesting. And so having been a caretaker very young, I'm just always like, is everybody okay? I want everyone to be okay. I'll ask you a million times, are you okay? I'll get you things you don't even want or need. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier today, I asked Alexis, I said, hey, you want some water? She said, no, I'm fine. And I got her water anyway because (laughs) it's who I am. (laughs) I can't help it. I'm that person who's like, I'll be okay when you stop asking me if I'm okay. Right. I need you to sit down, okay? (laughs) Exactly. And so, but it does play out. And then I think, and then you've got the whole school conversation about how it doesn't really help because (laughs) honestly, you know, you've got these objective stand, these objective quote unquote standards. And then if you're a people pleaser and you're extremely obedient, then you're, you're going to do well. Well, you end up abandoning yourself. Exactly. And then um, I spent a large part of um, my time in law school traveling back to myself. 
um, and really making that journey back. And so um, I definitely agree with, understand, and can appreciate that. Um, I think... Um, so then my next question or sort of the next sort of piece of why I really wanted to bring you in and I'm really excited to talk about is how people can sort of use um, the diversity and inclusion officer at their particular locations um, once they're sort of in the space. Is it just is, are all diversity and inclusion officers particularly just um, resources for executives or is that something that people the employees can work reach out to as well? Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's really going to depend on your organization, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. and it depends on how there's there's a number of things. Um, and I'll talk about law firms, and then perhaps I'll expand it more broadly. Okay. A lot of times, particularly when the you're talking, and I'm not chief diversity and inclusion officer, I'm I'm director level. Right. But when you do get to more of the leadership levels, those individuals are setting strategy and looking at systems. And that's not to say that they aren't there for individuals. But I know for me, as I was, when I was still practicing, I thought it was strange that the diversity person wasn't talking to me personally, like every yeah, day. Yeah, that's what I was, <laughs> that's why I was like, I don't know. I'm just really, I, I and that's why I was like, I gotta ask this question. Right, like, because... what is your job? I'm diverse. You haven't called right. me this month, this year. So clearly you're not even doing your job. <laughs> Did you have a, I mean, I feel like you should have a Christmas party just for just, me. We should, you should know me. But it, so, let I me mean, take a step back. Yeah. I think anybody you should view everybody as a resource, particularly yeah. the the person um, who's in that diversity role. But understand that a lot of times, particularly as they get more um, senior level, they're actually looking more of a systems approach than an individual approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think what we have seen is one charismatic individual being what carries diversity within an organization. And don't get me wrong, that is better than huh. nothing. But what's better than that one person is if the system itself is structured to support the retention, promotion, um, recruitment of diverse individuals. Mm-hmm. And that needs to go well beyond that one mm-hmm. person. So I'm sort of answering your question. I'm sort of not. I do think it's definitely worth having a discussion because that's one more person who, um, one, should be focused on you and focused on your experience at wherever you work. Mm-hmm. But if for some reason they don't seem like they're much of a people person, I, 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 and I mean, I hesitate saying this, I think you at your court should be a people person. <laughs> but they may be someone who's much more focused on this, like, systemic, strategic, literal systems yeah. of the company versus getting to know each individual. So yeah. I, I wish I could answer that. Better, but I think it's going to really also depend on the organization. There are so yeah. many organizations where that role might be lip service to DNI versus, yeah, that's true. Really, in a change, like something that can really change diversity inclusion at the organization. Yeah, yeah. you so got to get to depends. know your organization really. Yeah, I suppose the answer is it depends. Yeah, it does depend. <laughs> yeah. um, that is such a lawyer answer. Um, so <laughs> But it was a really great one, though. Um, And so it does always depend. That's the thing. I try to tell people that. But anyway, um, I also think um, I've always wondered if because, well, my staff is really small. We don't have diversity. I am the diversity and the inclusion. Um, So (laughs) but there I'm wondering then. Um, so it sounds like the difference between sort of your DNI officer and HR, because I was wondering, like, if you're sort of faced with a situation that you feel like is a result of some lack of sensitivity to diversity, yep. um, if stopping by the diversity and inclusion officer's office is something you should yep. do. 
or just straight to HR. Is the so thing. the lines are definitely blurred here, mm-hmm. but there are differences. But sometimes organizations will structure it so that diversity sits under HR, particularly in corporate America. It will be viewed as an HR function. Mm-hmm. I make it very clear that I am not HR. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about your benefits. Mm -hmm. I am not focusing on our compliance with state or federal laws. Mm -hmm. And if anybody has discrimination complaint or like literally files like an EEOC charge, Mm -hmm. that is that's something that HR is directly handling. Now, of course, I need to be aware of those things (laughs) happening in my organization. Yeah. But functionally, we are different. But I think when it comes to discussions about the experience, which goes well beyond actually just the experience of diverse people, but just like the, the experience of the people in an organization. Yes. Of course, you should feel comfortable talking to your diversity and inclusion professional mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. And really, that goes for anybody in the organization. Now, there are certainly things that could happen where I would need to elevate it. Yeah. At, elevate it to HR or elevate it to other leadership within mm-hmm. the organization, depending on it. Yeah. But I do think for particularly those things where you're like, this just didn't hit me quite right. I mean, right, we, it did we, hit me quite right. Yeah, and we also get really in that like microaggression situation where you're like, I don't know that this is an HR discussion, right. but somebody needs to know that somebody so just said this to right. me. Right. Yes, definitely talk to the diversity professional about that. But the role the DNI professionals play in an organization can vary widely. Mm-hmm. You do have roles, and the, I'm not saying this to say you shouldn't talk to that individual, but are mm-hmm. almost more managing the activities of diversity. Yeah. So the sponsorships, yeah. the the Heritage Month celebrations, mm-hmm, the affinity mm-hmm. groups. That is still someone who could be useful to you, but often they're going to be much less senior in an organization. Mm-hmm. They likely very well have to elevate anything yeah. you you say to them, mm-hmm. whereas you get – so if you have like a chief diversity officer or a director, they tend to be very tied in with the organizational leadership. And I apologize for those who aren't in law firms because I, I think even the titles and the names can be be different mm-hmm. when you're in a company, mm-hmm. but whatever their, their equivalents are. So it, it can be important to get a sense of sort of – who are you talking to and whose ear do they have mm-hmm. within the organization when you're sharing that sort of feedback? And a lot of times you can just get that from like an organizational chart or even, um, I don't know, at the state you can kind of look up people's pay and that can be a tell-all. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Government. That's, uh, I mean, it's all yeah. public. No. So, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so, you know, you just kind of got to do your investigations well. I, I'm wondering, I don't, I wonder, I don't know if other people do. I don't. Do you recommend that folks consider diversity when they're like looking for a new place, like when they're examining, when they're in that interview phase, and they're also interviewing the place that they might be looking to work? Do you um, do you consider those things? Do you think people consider those things? I don't. You really. mean the diversity of the organization? Yes. Yeah. I don't really. I. I. Well, let me step back. That's not true. I think about like you know. I don't really particularly like working in spaces where I don't feel that all the pieces of my authentic self won't be welcome. So I do think about it in sort of that piece. Yeah. Um, But um, I don't necessarily say or think like, oh, so how many, you know, how many women are here or how many, you know, I don't think of it in, in, in that specific way. Is that something that you think folks should be considering or, um, and if they do consider it, do de- make the decision is considered, do you think, um, 
you know, how how do you sort of leverage that or leverage that conversation, you know, so early on? I think it goes back to him. And in a way, I'm going to say it depends because yeah, it it, obviously I think most people, particularly people of color, yeah. you can't help but notice what the composition of an organization <laughs> you is. You really so can't. So we're just— I think that's why it's not a concern for me because I'm yeah. like, I see, you know, it's two of us. That's yes. nice. You, I mean, you can walk into a room, actually, and you probably instantly—you're like, oh, four black people in here, okay. <laughs> and it's just like a sense you have about yourself that you mm-hmm. can't turn off. So you're going to notice it regardless. Mm-hmm. But the question is, should a lack of diversity stop you from even wanting to apply? Yep. Right. Yeah. And that I do think is where we can do ourselves a disservice if we make assumptions about the organization. Mm. I saw this um, quite a bit when law students are looking at law firms during the on-campus interview. Oh, yeah. And one of the things you're like, you don't really know what's going on, but you can go on websites and you can look at stats. And the first yeah. thing you look at is like, okay, how many black partners, how many yeah. Hispanic partners, how many? And if those numbers aren't good, you're like, this must not be for me. Yeah. And of of course, we all want to see somebody who looks like us excelling. That's a great indication that an organization, you know, could work for us. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what you're really focused on is who is going to teach me what I need to learn mm-hmm. to get to where I want to go. Yeah. And the a dearth of, um, you know, ethnic minority representation doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't someone yeah. in that organization or yeah. multiple people in that organization who would take you under their wing and really give you That's what That's a gym, you, y'all. You, I hope you heard you it. <laughs> Well, and here's the, but here's the problem, and I'll st- I generally stick with my comments within the legal world, but maybe yeah. it applies outside. It of, does apply outside. Right? I think your the most important thing you can have is your skill set, your training, and the number one thing needs to be who's going to teach me for lawyers how to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I would focus more on teasing that out versus getting to the core of the organization's diversity issues. But let's. Yeah. But, but I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Right. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention if right. it does seem that this place is just hostile yeah. <laughs> to people yeah. like me yeah. succeeding. But I think for it to carry the day, yeah, for the the diversity inquiry to be the the beginning and the end, yeah. I think that can do us a disservice. Yeah, let's not too heavily weight the that, and when we're making the credit, the sort of determination of whether or not you know this could be nurturing to you in the long run, um, or I, even in the short term. I mean, even in the too. first couple of years, getting you, you're like, okay, there's some things that I wish were different, but I am getting the experience in the field working with the person. Right. That's what you want to look for is your person in the organization, I think. Um, I've actually used that as a guidepost for my job search. Like, I don't really even look at the or like I'm like, oh, they're hiring. And the first thing I do is go on LinkedIn and see who all works there and you know, usually the job post says who you report to, and I'll look up that person and see what they are and if I like them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, I can do this, and I'll write my cover letter to them, you know? Well, and I also think, um, thinking of privilege in a different way, I think as, you know, a black person or person of color, whatever mm-hmm. you may be, yeah. but particularly with, like, let's focus on just black people, okay. we don't have the privilege, really. I think you're denying yourself opportunities, like I said, if that was your only inquiry. Yeah. There's a lot of spaces that where we aren't. Yeah. And if we assume yeah. that we can't even try to achieve those spaces, 
because that, we aren't already in them yes, and excelling in them. That closes a, the opportunity to you. And I mean, if we mm-hmm. want to go way out there, we've been for hundreds of years having to enter spaces where we aren't and, ex- and we are excelling. So, so many firsts already. Like, yes. just it's kind of alarming how many firsts just in last year, especially with the wave of like um, political representatives being Absolutely. appointed and, and elected and things. It's kind of um, scary. It was alarming to me how many times I was seeing first black woman this this and this and it is just like or really? you get the believed to be the first black <laughs> right. we're not sure like they didn't really keep records on that but everybody knows they're the first but we believe they we are believe the first person are. to lead xyz whatever it is absolutely it's ridiculous and kind of scary um as i was really shocked one of the things that really shocked me, and I know this is a little off topic, was that Beyonce was the first black woman to headline Coachella. I was like, what? It's funny, though. It's shocking. But then you think about it and you're like, yeah, I know. I could tell. Yeah. You're, like, you're like, that kind of makes sense, given. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it no. does make sense. But but no, I, but I hear you when you say that. That happens a lot where, I mean, you still get that with whether it be the first black editor of the, you know, name the law mm-hmm. school law review <laughs> or the first black person to graduate with a PhD and name the area of science. I mean, yeah. it is still happening very frequently that yeah. firsts are being achieved. That's and I don't shame. even know how we got here, but I will say <laughs> that, it, but it's complicated. I don't say that to give short shrift to the, you know, that kind of visceral feeling you have when you see that photo, whether it be an organization or a board or whatever, and you're like, great, everybody there looks the same. Clearly, it's going to be hard for someone like me. Yeah. Right? So that that's still, that's real, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to ignore that. Mm-hmm. But I just also stress, like, we should not be denying ourselves of opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's important. That's definitely important. Um, I think that the reason why I really wanted to delve into this topic is really because, you know, as it relates to sort of your job hunts and your career shifts and things, um, you know, the bottom line is we're not, you know, defining diversity the same. And the way it shows up now is, like you said, is more so in our authenticity and what we bring to the table just authentically. Just how we show up in a room, what, you know, sometimes what we look like, other times what experiences we bring. Um, but a lot of times we find ourselves sort of cherry picking so much of it away that um, we sort of leave that authenticity at home. And I'm excited to see more people and hopefully more of our listeners sort of um, start to um, bring more of themselves to the table in a way that feels comfy and allows them to, what did you say earlier, be a great human. I think you said said you... But it's funny. I think you actually mixed a whole, like, a lot of things up there. I did. in a way, (laughs) yes, the definition of diversity is expanding within the discussion. So for a long time, diversity was really focused on women and ethnic minorities. Then we Mm -hmm. added LGBTQ, and now we're at first generation, and disability, and veterans, and probably some things that I may even be forgetting. But that being said, we do not live in a world where someone is not going to notice that you are black and applying (laughs) for a job. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) You might have an organization that is unable and doesn't have the language to properly discuss it because they're highly uncomfortable talking about race in their organization. That's true. That very much happens. Yeah. But this is we. This is not an America where no. Where we're like, oh well, we were really only focused on, you right. know, first generation diversity and not ethnic. So I, right. I still very much think 
and the core, at least in DNI work, that the, the top three are ethnic diversity. Okay. Um, of course, gender, and then LGBT, those are the, the three that always come up. Those are the okay. three that the U.S. government is, requires employers of a certain size to keep statistics on and depending on the new relationship to report on. Oh, okay. So that is still very much there and very okay. present. But I think it's, of course, how, how do I even say this? Right. I, I think sometimes that when you are interviewing, you need to do a bit of the work for the interviewer and give them the language to say mm. it's okay to talk about race. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. they may be thinking some things, particularly, you know, as a white person who doesn't have the comfort mm-hmm. to discuss it, to say, you know, you've talked all about your credentials and why you're great for this job. And you might even say, you know, and to be really frank with you, as a person of color, I do think I could bring a different perspective to your organization. I yeah. think that's a very that's, professional and appropriate mm-hmm. way to raise it. And that mm-hmm. person may even, if they don't have much to say, they'll be like, oh, thanks for sharing that. That's noted. Or they might say, I'm so glad you've raised that. Yeah. We've actually that's been, what I get all the time. Yes. that's We're looking yes. for someone to, you know, dive because, well, that's also because most of the the positions that I tend to interview for are advocacy-based, and they're usually advocacy for um, populations of color and marginalized individuals that heavily, you know, include populations of color. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very specific experience. But then for you, so you say, you know, and as a woman of color, given that this job focuses on X, Y, and Z, I do believe my lived experience along Mm -hmm. with the, you know, credentials I've gained and experience does change me, you know, make me a great candidate for this job. And then going back to about expressing your authentic self, particularly Mm -hmm. for people who may have some sort of diversity status that is hidden, Yeah, that is also a big question about how authentic do I want to be? Do yeah. I want to say, oh, I, you know, it's on my resume that I'm president of the LGBTQ whatever association, mm-hmm. or I am vice chair of the disability such and such, or I may even say, now, this is a very, like an area that's really not um, as heavily focused on both disability. Mm-hmm. Do you disclose that? Yeah. At what stage? A lot of people, there's even a generational divide. In there this. is a huge generational divide. Yeah. So the older generations, because they're the, like, don't you tell. Don't say it. <laughs> I think the ADA, the American Disability Act, is like, that's like the early 90s. That's it not really that is. long ago. So it is, you get that job and may try to make it work without letting anybody know, if, mm-hmm. if possible. Now, there's yeah. certainly people who, you know, it's very visible. They're just, yeah. but new, now generationally, it's like, no, this is a part of who I am. I yeah. will tell you in the interview, you need to know that I have either limited vision or, you know, it's difficulty hearing. And, and, yeah. one, but the, and that um, is a part of who you are. Do you mm-hmm. want to raise that interview? Do you want to say, yeah. I just wanted to share that I have only 60% hearing and, this ear, yeah. um, generally it hasn't affected my job, but there are ty- there's possibilities I might need an accommodation. There are some people who are going to say, no, 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 don't do that at all. Just get the job. Others are yeah. going to say, this is who I am. Yeah. You need to know this before you hire me because if for some reason that's a problem, I don't want to be here. And you need to know ahead of time so that you can make the decision of whether or not you're able to support me. Right. And But I will say that decision of to what extent you raise that, whether you just close it. I think that's highly personal. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, that's not something I could say, like, here's what you should do. Like, but you I, should do that. No, right. no, no. We're not saying pimp your pain. We're just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think um, just that, going back to, sorry, as I have to like go both back over my train of thought, yeah. it's really personal, but I think there's a way to convey most of the key things that really mean something to you in a very professional way within the interview experience or post-offer if you want to. Yes. 
yeah. if you want to. Yeah. And I think a lot of the interview process is really more about being a skilled communicator yeah. than anything else. Yeah. There are things that I just personally, based on my communication style, can get away I say get away, but can successfully communicate <laughs> say or communicate that other people would be completely dinged for. And it's merely because of the, the tone of voice, the energy I had when I said it, how I said it, where I weaved it in, mm-hmm. and what I tied it to. Mm-hmm. So it becomes much more like how skilled of a communicator are you? Mm. Do you um, have any books for that? I don't know. They're, I'm sure there are. Back yeah. to the whole Google thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but, and then, but, you know, like I said, I keep saying this word privilege, but part of that maybe is the privilege that I've had and, like, what communities I've come from or experiences I've had that have naturally created mm-hmm. some of that skill set in me. Mm-hmm. But for other people, I mean, we just live in a wor- in a universe, I think, where communication skills are highly prized. And yeah. if that is something that you have a deficit, yeah, that's a gap you want to close. You want to close it. Um, yeah. Two books that I know of is um, How to Make Friends and Influence, oh, influence people. people. Yeah, I've definitely heard. That's yes. a really good one. I don't remember. Who's that by? Um, it's old. That's the old. Like it's, that's a that's really old, old school. Book. But that's it old is school perfect. Yes. It is everything. Yes. I love that book. I reread it like once every two years. Um, it's just a huge part of my job. So that, yeah, that makes getting sense. to yes is a really good one. That's an old school one as well. That's I didn't like read a, that, but pre law school I read getting to maybe, which was based <laughs> on getting to yes. But anyway, <laughs> getting to maybe is actually really good too. Um, and the last. One. Oh shucks, it just slipped my mind. Talking to Strangers by Malcolm. Michael, Gunn. I picked that up. It's really good, but I haven't started reading it. But okay. But back to so because yeah. I know a lot of this is you know giving advice to people on the job hunt. Yeah. It really is about communication. It's about it really people is. and how you connect with people. Yeah, but like you said, it's a skill, which means you can develop it. Yes, you can. And I think a lot of times we look at skills and we def- we confuse skills and like personality traits. Yes. And and we do, we. You can't, you can work on your personality, but your personality is you. Well, and it can be both, right? So there are people who are part of their personalities. They're very skilled at communication. That's true. But there's other people where they need some reps. And yeah. so I will frequently tell someone, I, t- I tell this to law students a lot where I'm mm-hmm. like, to prep for your interviews, I'd prefer you go to Starbucks and start talking to strangers. Wow. Because you need to learn how to be comfortable and confident relating to someone that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And just memorizing company websites isn't going to get you there. No. It's and not. that's not going to be what allows you to connect with someone. Mm. <laughs> I mm. <laughs> College prepped me because I tried to become Greek. <laughs> I won't say what organization, but I tried to Try. become Greek. <laughs> and <laughs> they required us to, like, talk to everybody, get to yeah. know everybody. And that was, like... A lot for somebody who just come out of high school. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like this crash course in networking um, that I'm actually really grateful for. <laughs> as weird as it was to like go have lunch with somebody you really don't know. And yeah. then walk well, away that's what interviews are. That's exactly. all you're doing. <laughs> it's literally what you're doing, especially in Chicago. I can't tell you how many interviews I've had in Starbucks. It's so weird. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So I think this, wow, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alexis, for coming in. Um, can you tell the people, do you, if, if you'd like to share some spaces where they can find you or anything like that? LinkedIn. Um, Alexis okay. Robertson on LinkedIn. That's yeah. probably, I'm as uh, And she's an excellent. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I post frequently. It's yeah. pretty easy to find me or engage with me there. Yeah. yeah. She's excellent. So um, feel free to reach out. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, this has been another episode of Black Esquire Podcast.